Welcome to episode 37 of the Bobcast, the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Yes, this is the Ghosts of Mesa Verde episode. This one has been a long time in the making. I, it seems like I keep putting this one off over and over again for whatever reason, but here we are. We made it. I'm going to talk about Mesa Verde tonight. Now, quick background on this episode. My family and I visited Mesa Verde National Park in September of 2019, and that place is gnarly. It's an insane place. It really is. It truly, truly blew me away. On that vacation, we purposefully went to several haunted places, ghost town called Oatman, Arizona, an old abandoned town called Two Guns, Arizona, and then also another ghost town, Jerome, Arizona. Mesa Verde was kind of the main goal of that whole trip. We didn't really go there with the expectation that we would see any ghosts or any paranormal stuff like the other places we were going to. Jerome, Two Guns, and Oatman specifically are all known for being haunted. Mesa Verde is not. So Mesa Verde, as far as I knew at the time when we visited there, wasn't really like a, a target for a Bobcast episode at all. As far as I knew, the place isn't haunted, right? Yeah, yeah. Or is it? Well, we'll see. My wife definitely did have an experience when we were there at a place in Mesa Verde called the Farview Sites. So stay tuned. You're going to hear more about that. It's kind of a gnarly story. That will be almost at the very end. So, yeah, I'm going to hold you for this whole episode. Yes, I am. From the point where my wife had the experience that she did, that visit to Mesa Verde definitely became something that I wanted to do a podcast episode about. So here we are. That's That was the inspiration for this episode. Here's how this one's going to go. At the beginning here, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of Mesa Verde and what Mesa Verde is exactly. In the second part of the episode, I'm going to tell the ghost story that we had there and kind of a retelling of my family's visit to Mesa Verde and also a little bit more about the ancestral Puebloans that lived at Mesa Verde and built those gnarly cliff houses. So yeah, that's what Mesa Verde is really known for are these really intense and gnarly like cliff houses. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get to that. Relax, relax. Calm down. Calm down. We're going to get to it. Don't worry about it. I do have to say this before we get going. That Mesa Verde, it's fucking incredible. If you get a chance to go, go. I will repeat this several times through this episode. Bear with me. That place is fucking mind-blowing. It's spiritual, and that's coming from a guy who's not really very spiritual. Eh, maybe I am a little in my own weird way. But yeah, that the place is literally like I wanted to start busting out the crystals and like chanting and shit. Well, uh, I, I, well not that far. But yeah, the place is it, it really is. There's a heavy like spiritual vibe there. It's a really interesting place. Go check it out. Now, speaking of spiritual and kind of vibey and interesting, the song that was playing at the beginning is a song being played on what is called the Anasazi flute. That's a little weird, right? What's weird about it? Well, it's a, the song is definitely a little different from what I usually do, for sure. The ancestral Puebloan people who inhabited the Mesa Verde region, really kind of the whole Four Corners region of the southwestern United States, they don't like to be called Anasazi. There's a reason for that. Anasazi means ancestral enemy in Navajo. So they don't really appreciate that word. So it's kind of interesting that people who... There's a bunch of these songs out there, too, by the way being played on the Anasazi flute, and they're advertised as like spirits in the wind. 
and, you know, Wolf on the Mesa and fuck all kinds of other like kind of silly shit. Right. So the flute itself has a fairly interesting story. I'm not going to divert from our main course to talk about it. It's a fucking flute, dude. I'm sorry. It's a flute. So I'm not going to get too into the history of a flute. Uh, Long story short, that song that was playing at the beginning is kind of supposed to call to mind the ancestral Puebloan people and their culture. Just a little bit kind of, you know, get you in the mood for what we're going to talk about here tonight. Yeah. Now, what else do we have music-wise in this episode? Hmm. Since Mesa Verde is located in Colorado, the band of this episode also spent some time living in Colorado, interestingly enough. And that band is Planes Mistaken for Stars. Holy shit, yes. The Planes Mistaken for Stars. What a fucking great band that is. Like, really, that band, that's a fucking spiritual experience listening to that band, I think. That sounds like hokey as shit, but it's true. Dude, there's something to them. They're gnarly. They are gnarly. So that's very fitting for them being on this episode as far as talking about a really gnarly, crazy, intense place. Well, I have a band that also calls to mind very gnarly and intense, almost spiritual feelings inside of me. Yes, Bob, I do have feelings. I definitely have a lot of feelings inside of myself. Goddamn, that is a great band. I am incredibly happy that they are on this episode. So there is going to be a little interview part with Garrett from Planes Mistaken for Stars and a couple of songs. Yeah. Before we get to the Planes Mistaken for Stars interview and one of the songs, let's talk a little bit about beer. Yes, I do love beer and I I really, really love the beer of this episode. This is a new beer for me from Play Nine Ale House. It's the Lazy Magic American Style Pale Ale. That comes in at 6.7% alcohol by volume. Let's give it a try real quick. What do you say? Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That is good. Uh, It's good. It's really crisp, really clean, smooth finish. There's like barely any bitterness in it. Dude, that is a good beer. I dare say this is maybe my new favorite beer from Plan 9 in a long line of favorite beers from Plan 9 Ale House. My favorite beer-making place on earth at this time yes oh dude it's good thank you plan nine ale house for the beer you can go down there and try it as well plan nine ale house 155 east grand avenue in escondido california you can reach them by phone at 760-489-8817 or on the internet at www.plan9alehouse.com all right well on to planes mistaken for stars this is what's coming up is a conversation I had with Garrett of the band recently. Right after that conversation is the song Fucking Tenderness off of the full length record Pray. And what a fantastic conversation I had with Garrett. He's rad. Dude, he really is. That dude is an awesome dude. I mean, I talking to him felt like we were old friends, like catching up or something like that. Really easy to talk to. Great guy. We talked for a good 40 minutes before we actually got to the interview questions that you're going to hear here. So based on the length of our conversation, before we even got to the interview questions, Garrett's going to be back. We're going to have a full interview with Garrett of Planes Mistaken for Stars. At least, you know, hopefully a couple of the other guys can take part two. We have some great, great stuff to talk about, it sounds like, especially Ghost paranormal type stuff yeah yeah yeah. we're gonna have a really good conversation i can't wait for that i really can't wait following the interview 
with planes mistaken for stars and Garrett and the song fucking tenderness are going to be a few words about my good friends at stickerjunkie.com. So stay tuned. Who am I talking to right now? Hi, this is Garrett O'Donnell from planes mistaken for stars. And what do you do? What do you do in the band? Who's and who else is in the band right now? Uh, it's me, Chuck, Neil and Mikey Mongo. Um, I play guitar and sing and write lyrics and I guess I'm sort of the captain of the ship. Captain of the captain of the good ship, planes mistaken for stars, yes sir. Yes sir. <laughs> yes, sort of something like that. Mikey's kind of the engine. You know, you know how it goes. Yes, sir. Me and Mikey started the band in ninety seven, ninety eight. And uh me and him consistent throughout and then I I mean, I think Neil's the new guy and he joined <laughs> fourteen years ago, so Wow, when did and Chuck and Chuck's not OG either, right? Chuck Chuck joined in yeah. like 2003 oh. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that sounds about right. 2003, cool. 2004. So, yeah, we're. I mean, it's just yeah, we're we're definitely family at you, this point. Well, we always were, but you know, <laughs> you know, you've been around for a while when the new guy's been in the band for like 13 years too. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> No shit. <laughs> now what the name it feels good though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean you're still rolling, so that's a that's big right there yeah. for sure. It's it's organic it's organic. Yeah, it's almost like you can't at this point you can't stop. Kenny, do you think do you think that might be kind of true? No. No, I mean yeah, it's that we love each other so much. It's like we don't have any pressure either to do it. It we do it so infrequently, it's but it's something we're always doing. But we we don't have a whole lot of pressure, so it's just like we love each other. We really enjoy when we can writing new music and playing shows. So what would be the point of breaking up? I mean, we've all pissed each other off so much over the years. Sure, sure. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what it would take to piss one of us off that bad that we're like, oh, fuck, I'm quit. <laughs> like I don't ever want to <laughs> talk mean, to you guys know. again, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it would be. Wow, you know, that's good. But, uh, true fam, that's yeah. like true family right there. I mean, really. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, you can't like dump your mom. No, you can't. You <laughs> know, she's <laughs> like, uh, we're stuck. We're stuck. There but it feels go. good. You're asking about the name, though. Yeah, the name. So the name. I always kind of thought the name sounds like something like really pretty, almost like, but it's kind of deceptive. Like you're looking up at the sky and you're like, Oh, look at that pretty star. And you're like, Oh wait, Oh fuck, yeah. man. It's a goddamn it. It's a plane. plane. It's a fucking plane. That's so, exactly what happened. That's And that's how I explain it to people. They're like, planes mistaken for stars. Hmm. I'm like, yeah, you ever like needed to, cause usually if you're wishing on a star, you need to be, it's kind of like my version of praying to God or something like, fuck. God, just answer my prayers this one time, and I'll believe in you. <laughs> right. mine's, like, <laughs> mine's like, I got to wish. I got to do something. I'm fucking bumming here. I need some help. I wish on a star, and motherfucker blinks. Sorry, wish, wish. And then, uh, so that's what it was from. A very, uh, much younger man came up with the band name many years ago. That much younger? It, was it you? Uh, was it a much younger yeah, yeah, Garrett? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay, it was good. much younger than me, yeah. <laughs> I think I was writing it uh, on folders in about 1995. Like in, was that, were you in high then, school at the time or something? Uh, Yeah, yeah, high school. 
Did you? Um, wow. Yeah, that's going back. Huh? It's weathered fairly well. It's worked for us and against us. I mean, even still, like people, I think think we're going to be kind of milk toast or something because it sounds pretty or it sounds kind of like, for lack of a better term, emu. Uh, but right, right, a little bit, out. a little, a little. I, I, yeah. my it's, opinion is no that it's that it's like sounds pretty, but it ain't kind of thing because look at the pretty star. Ah, fuck me, like no, that's bullshit. Yeah. You know, like so. I think there's an edge to the name a little bit, you know? That's my feeling anyways. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like if you, like, if you, depends on what kind of, like, eyes you got on when you read the the uh, the name Hawkwind. You know what I mean? You could be <laughs> sure. like, Hawkwind. That could be, like, really spiritual, earthy fucking yoga book. Or it could be, like, fucking Hawkwind. You know what I mean? <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's how I've always... Wow, you you, oh, th- you threw a Hawkwind reference in, and you know, <laughs> wow! Like, did you know? Um, you know, then you know, like Michael Moorcock was in the band and all that stuff for a little bit, right? Yeah. Did, are you that a Michael? Right. Are you a Michael Moorcock fan? All the Elric books and all that stuff. Well, did he do the art? No, he wrote like the Elric of Melnabone books, and he was like a big. Um, fantasy and sci-fi oh, okay. author there back like in the yeah. 60s and 70s and stuff. So he'd, be, he'd have to talk to Mongo about that shit. Oh, I'm, okay, I'm, okay. I gotcha, know gotcha. quite a bit about that stuff, but Mongo's full-blown fucking geek city when it comes to that stuff. Gotcha. Like he wants to stop and do oh, right, yeah. D&D <laughs> tournaments on the road and everything. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I, I, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'll tell you a real quick side note to the Talkwind thing. We got to open for Motorhead once, and um, it was at a big uh, theater in Denver. And when we play places like that, I always like to get on the second or third tier and kind of get a a vibe for what the acoustics of the room are like. Get right in the middle and you kind of do a little whistle and hear how the slap back is. So I go to do that and fucking A, Lemmy's there doing the same thing. And it's just me and him in this this theater. Like big empty theater, like before the show and everything, right? Yeah, there's just nobody there. Just me and him. And I go up to him and I was like, hey, Lemmy, I hate to interrupt a beautiful theater right and he's like right i go hey i i pleasure to meet you i don't want you to take this long fucking honored to be opening for uh motorhead but i gotta tell you i'm way more into hawkwind <laughs> <laughs> and he goes he goes oh mike you know like and i was like in fact we even ripped off one of you guys's little uh things and they had the song i think at the end of it they all are whispering should do that should do that should do that do that and he's like oh i remember and the next thing i know he's singing it with me and we have our arms around each other and we're whispering shouldn't do that shouldn't do that holy shit that. <laughs> and and i woke and i, I kind of woke up and i was like oh fuck i gotta let you get back to what you're doing but it was totally fucking surreal and that's my lemmy story wow that's a great lemmy story <laughs> that's really good man <laughs> i like that so the, all right uh, speaking of colorado what you guys all packed up and moved from Illinois to Colorado. Did you did you do that as a band? Like all of you packed up and moved? Yeah. What uh, Yeah, yeah, in 1999, um 13 of us from Peoria moved and went out together. Wow. So more than just the band, the, the band and a bunch of your friends all packed up and moved, huh? Yeah. Yeah, it was almost like a little commune thing. Holy cow. It was what? really cool. Like it Peoria didn't really work for us at the time, so and we didn't one of the reasons we wanted to move to Denver because at the time it wasn't LA, it wasn't New York. It was totally kind of not established. There was no real click. 
it didn't feel like. It felt like we could make a mark. And so we just brought our own scene. Yeah, 99. I mean, there wasn't a, like a whole lot going on in Denver, right? I mean, there was stuff, stuff. going on. You There's know, stuff. But it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't, there was nothing, there was no pigeonhole. You know, I mean, you had like Angel Hair, Christopher Drive, uh, but those bands had broke up by that point. Um, yeah, I mean, there's cool scene, but it was like still fresh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Like gotcha. Was, gotcha. Nobody was too big for their britches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like almost any other like big um, American city at the time, like had its kind of oh, like San Diego had. Yeah. You know, it's like God, it's San Diego bands. L.A. had whatever yeah, the fuck yeah, L.A. Fuck is always up to. You know, I don't fucking care half the time to be honest with you, but. I think it was right. probably like a ska <laughs> explosion at the time. That's still kind of going on to this day, as far as I know. Jeez. So, <laughs> uh, it's awful. You you guys felt like eh, Peoria is not really working. Let's go to Denver. Let's go to Colorado and see what we can kind of make happen there, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, and it, it worked out good. I mean, still Chuck and Neil are still there. You know, I followed my kids when I uh, me and my ex split up. She came back to Peoria and was like, well, if you want to see your kids, you're moving to Peoria. And I was like, I guess I'm moving back to Peoria. I moved to Chicago for a short time because that's only like two and a half hours away. So I was able to get to see my kids every week. Got Gotcha. That long of a drive. And then that kind of got irritating. Um, and I wanted to see him more. So me and my wife, we moved, just moved to Peoria. And now we're here and not too bad. I mean, it doesn't have all the same trappings and conveniences of say chicago or denver whatever but it's so cheap to live here that we can actually do more when we go to places like that than when we actually live then when you actually live there yeah you're not throwing all that money away on rent or whatever yeah so you're back kind of you're kind of back where you started in some ways then yeah 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 in certain respects nothing wrong with that i I mean you get to be close to your your kids your family so that's uh, that's that's great i mean they live with me half the time so pretty rad and like you know, like affordable to live here. I mean, who knows? It seems like every city like starts to get cooler and then gentrification, like hyper gentrification everywhere. And I'm already seeing it here just since uh, weed's legal now. And I mean, just like there's dispensaries opening up everywhere in Peoria. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it's great for Denver, but it also made everybody that made it cool to live in Denver get priced out of denver yeah yeah and that's what's happening like in every big city around the country i mean even places like portland maine i hear have friends that live there and they're like fuck i can't afford to stay here anymore you know it sucks dude so okay so you're the the other guys then they all still live in the denver area and you're the only one you live in mongo is a professor mongo is a professor in chicago so uh like i said that's like three hours from so i get to see him quite a bit oh you do oh okay okay yeah but when we get together, it's it's kind of a, a thing. Like, we have to really plan it out logistically. But Neil's been coming here more. Um, we're, we're writing a new record right now, or at least a blueprint of it. And he's really upwardly mobile and doesn't have a whole lot of stuff that lock him in Denver. So he's came and stayed here a couple times, and we get to sit down take a crack at some tunes. So that's good. Oh, gotcha. So he's, he's able to travel easily and freely without any problem then, huh? Yeah, no, he doesn't have, like, a, any kids or any super, like, full-time gig. He's smart. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. How old are your kids, yeah. if I can ask? 
my kids, 16 and 12. Oh, wow. Wow. Teenagers. Well, one, the other one's getting real close. So, wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Interesting time. Yeah, yeah, it's, gosh, I mind six, and I go, oh, fuck, I don't want him to become a teenager. Yeah. I just want him to stay, like, around six, and we'll be cool, you know? So, yeah, that's got to be a whole new series of challenges for having kids when they hit those ages kind of thing, I would think. Yeah, it's partly it's partly a pain in the ass. It's partly really rewarding, and it's partly, like, what the fuck is this? Because I don't really, you know, because, you know, I think, regular theme with people and you don't know it until you're standing in those shoes that we always are waiting to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. Like to yeah. feel like grown ups. Or you'll see somebody on TV, like on a show, and you'll be like, Oh, that guy's playing a grown up and then you're like, But wait, that actor is fifteen years younger than me. Like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You know what I mean? You're like yeah. and so I, I still think to my kids, like they're like, I'm a grown up and I'm like Yes, I'm grown up, but I'm not like a grown up. Like, it's, it's such a fucking head trip and like weird existential nightmare, fucking roller coaster. I don't know. I mean, what is it to be grown up? I don't know. Yeah, anyway, we I, I, who, know, who your knows? Questions, man. <laughs> That's cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's free form and not, it doesn't matter. You know, it's not like, a, it's not going on Rolling Stone or, and even if it was, fucking who cares, you know? So, right. Um, <laughs> all right. So that changes things for a little bit. For my next question was, I was thinking we we're going to be talking about Colorado. Where, yeah, best burrito? Let's, let's shift then. Where's the best burrito in Peoria, Peoria. Illinois? There you go. Oh, geez. Well, Peoria is not really known for its fantastic uh, Mexican cuisine. No, but, no, um, no. When, when I was a kid, like there's, you know, like the general consensus is if you want a Mexican, you went to Taco John's. Taco John's. Oh, <laughs> the, the gem but, of but, the Midwest. But, yes, yeah. sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, it's 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 grown. There's there's several Mexican restaurants. I'm trying to think where the best the best the, the most. Well, I'll tell you, this is pretty fucking wild. But the church uh, that directly behind my house, they do tacos on Saturdays, and it's the fucking best this side of like San Francisco. No shit, really. Yeah, they just have like a kitchen there, and it's like, I mean, it, the church used to be this cracker ass like. Fucking, I don't. This is a cracker ass church. Let's put it that way. There you go. I gotcha. Left, <laughs> and then it was, and then it was vacant forever. And then um, it's like a Mexican church. Like it's a bunch of immigrants, and it's fucking awesome. Oh, I that's love rad. It. And they yeah. and they have full on, and like anybody can come and buy tacos and hang out or whatever. Yeah, it's fucking cool, man. Like it's uh, you know, it's sometimes a little tricky because most of uh the people. There's only a couple that really speak fluent English. Right, right, but right. Yeah, yeah. I love. I, I I think it's fantastic. Oh no, like, that's beautiful, man. I love it because it makes me feel. It makes me feel like I'm not necessarily stuck in the old Peoria. You sure? It makes me feel closer, sure. Closer to Denver, you know, um, huge, huge Spanish-speaking communities and Chicago, of course. And so it's like, fuck yeah! Like I don't, I don't live in Podunk anymore. Yeah. Oh no, that's so cool, awesome. man. That's great. That's, I mean, there's stuff like that here all over the place in California, especially in San Diego, you know, for sure. Like you can go into yeah. a supermarket and get tacos, you know, and that's, oh man, yeah, I don't know what go. I would do without that. <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah, so that's strange. Yeah, that's the best like burritos and tacos and 
You can fucking buy like a gallon of Pizzoli. It's awesome. Great. At a church. Yeah, wow. that's, that's a really interesting. Yeah. I've never heard that before, but I get it. I mean, it totally makes sense for sure. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, they do like fundraisers and stuff and like they do it every, every weekend. So yeah. it's great. Cause I, it, it, it literally is six steps away from my driveway. Wow. Ah, man, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Who'd have thought something like that? That's one of the most uh, interesting answers I've ever had to that question for sure. You yeah. Know? Where's your favorite my backyard burrito? Has uh, the best burrito. Yeah. Like, whoa, we, <laughs> you live in a pretty great place, man. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this episode that I'm doing is kind of partly a little bit about ghosts and like paranormal stuff, right? So what do, what do you think yeah. about ghosts? Do you have any opinions or, or is there, you know, I the kind of blanket question. Do you believe in ghosts, would you say? Uh, I don't rule anything out. I think there's all sorts of fucking shit that we don't know anything about. All sorts of new science uh, that we've yet to discover. I definitely highly think that there's different dimensions. Uh, and if you believe in that, then you just obviously would have to believe in those dimensions. Why other creatures... And that we're constantly flipping in and out of them. So yeah, I believe in it all. And okay, I gotcha. Mean, You're no, very open-minded, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's no, it's no more preposterous than the shit that they tell you about the Bible. Yeah, absolutely uh, not. You right. know what I mean? Oh yeah, right. In, in fact, it's a, it's a lot more scientific sounding to me. Absolutely. And also, I mean, you know, two hundred years ago, they would have fucking like, like stoned you if you said we'd land on the moon. Right. And thought you were, you know? yeah, thought you were being a heretic. Yeah. Like, Oh, like a heretic. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I got so many, you know, we might have to do this in two parts cause I got to go pick up my lady from work in a little bit, but I didn't know you were going to ask me about supernatural shit. Cause I could talk about this stuff for hours. Oh, good. Well, you know what we can do? Then we'll come back to that. Cause I only have two more questions. Then what we can do, okay. if you're cool with it, then we'll just it's set up two. doing, yeah, we'll do a part two. We'll do like a full interview. Cause that's, like that's like half of my shtick is like ghost stuff. Like I just I'm, went on a I'm ghost hunt with you. these guys and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I'm gonna show you a picture of uh, just one shelf of my library here, and you can crack up. But anyway, go oh on. cool. Okay, cool. <laughs> okay, so move. So okay, gotcha. So yes to ghosts, and that is gonna end up being another interview. That'll be awesome. Good. Because you know what? So real quick, yeah. surprisingly, a lot of people I ask that question to that are like. Like kind of how we were talking earlier about like creative and artistic and all that are kind of like no, I don't believe in ghosts. I'm like, really? Are you sure you play music? Because that seems like a really uncreative answer. You don't have a very creative world well, view, you know? Because people people box things up too tidy. And yeah, here's the yeah. Thing. All right. Like you got to think like okay, maybe not like goo 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 goose. Yeah, like a Scooby Doo you know type I mean? of ghost like, or whatever. Sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, like, you to goo 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 goose. No, like, <laughs> but you got to think, like, the amount of energy that we have in us, and us being, like, primarily electrical beings, I I just can't have a hard time believing when we hit a wall, like, when we hit the fucking ground, that not a, something doesn't shoot out of There's us. There's nothing residual even left over. Just, right, right. Yeah, even if, there, even if it's just momentarily, even if it's just a little bit of static for five fucking minutes, you know, <laughs> I just think that there's so much more that we don't know yet. And so much that we're squashed to avert our thoughts and our eyes from, because if we started down that rabbit hole, we might figure out that we're all being fucking spiritually fleeced. Yes. And yes. Like put, having, having blinders put on us. 
Absolutely. It doesn't because, fit the narrative, right? It, anything that yeah, that is what, outside of the narrative what, is bad kind of thing. Of religion, of like yeah. you're talking like organized religion or however you want to say it, no matter what, which one it is, it's kind of, yeah. it's all the same fucking shit, you know, it all boils down to the same yeah, thing, well, which mean, is like controlling people, you know, essentially. So, well, and knowledge, like there's it controls knowledge, knowledge right? Holds. That's why they, that's why we don't, we're not briefed as fucking citizens on like what the fuck's going on outside of our, outside of our scope, outside of our TV outside of our fucking Super Bowl and our fucking theatrics in Congress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, right now they're fucking rioting in France over pensions. That's not on the news. No, no, why, right? Because it shows you that it's possible to fucking throw a Molotov cocktail. It shows you that it's possible to say, no, fuck you, I'm not taking your abuse. Right. Now, can you imagine if they're not showing us that people are rioting commonplace across the world against their government if they're not showing us that you really fucking think they're going to show us that we can leave our bodies and fucking communicate outside of the internet yeah right right or anything <laughs> anything any deeper yeah 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 dude yeah 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 that's, you know, that's heavy, that's like heavy duty no 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 i don't think but. so at all no i think about that shit all <laughs> the time like i've been reading a lot about untapped human potential lately and all that oh yeah 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 dude yeah. we're fucking rabbit hole we're gonna have to come back to this because you're gonna have yeah. to get going here soon <laughs> for sure so <laughs> the only the last couple of questions really i just wanted to ask why there was such a big gap between a couple of your records between mercy and prey because that was a 10-year gap and then also in that time frame, you guys did break up for a little bit, right? For like a couple of years or something. Yeah. It just, life got in the way, you know? And, um, a part of it was me being like really just being a cantankerous, stubborn asshole and just being like, I'm not doing it unless we could do it a hundred and ten percent. You wanted the band to do more. You wanted to like push harder and harder and harder kind of thing. Kind of. And also like, but it wasn't, it wasn't reasonable because I needed to be here to, to, you know, take care of like my kids and, you know, splitting up with my ex and all this stuff that was happening. There's a lot going uh, on. Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. Mongo needed to go back to school. Basically it came down to a band meeting. The label that we were on at the time folded and we lost a, basically what's going to be a, a rather sizable advance for an indie band back then. And that's what we were planning on getting by for the next year. Oh shit. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, I was like, well, if anybody's not 110%, raise their hand, and Mongo did. And I was like, well, fuck it. I, I don't want to do it then. He's oh, like, well, I, I'm not saying I don't want to do it, but I need to go back to school. And I fucking proud as hell of him. You know, I mean, he's a Professor Mongo now. I mean, That's gnarly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Professor. You know, so, blah, blah, long story short, <clears throat> uh, the dudes had to get some, and then later, later on, you know, they joined Woven Hand, and they've been busy with that. Uh, Mikey Mongo did school and he has tons of side like projects. Um, I did Hawks and a band called Hawks and Doves with uh, my buddy Chad Darby and then Georgie from Hot Water. And, oh, George. Uh, oh, okay, cool. Of, cool, cool. Nicest, yeah. one of the nicest drummers the in the entire world. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. So I've been lucky that like I've only played with like three drummers and they're all, you know, it's all good dudes, all solid dudes. From, Good they yeah, made Ryan good they made all us, they made Reagan. drummers look good. I like guys like yeah. that. So <laughs> Yeah, right? 
but anyway, so we just got caught up in uh, other stuff, and then I, I, I matured a little bit in certain respects, and I was like, well, listen, it doesn't have to be all the time, and we did that. We've already, you know, we ate shit for fucking years. We don't need to do that now. Let's just be selective in what we do and stay friends and stay passionate about it and not not grind our fucking guts out, you know? Sure. And yeah, uh, yeah. It's, while I have fond memories of earlier days and I'm proud of what we have done and I wouldn't trade those memories for anything, I, I kind of prefer how it goes now. It's a mo- <laughs> you know, It's like, probably a lot mo- less stressful, like a lot more uh, just easy and yeah. kind of doing your thing and no – like, oh, we have to get this record done by this time, or we're supposed to, and then we got to get yeah. this tour going for that record, and we got to do this, and we got to do that, and it's kind of like, yeah. you kind of, do you feel like you kind of like pick and choose what you're going to do? Like, yeah, I let's go. I feel like we got like, like tenure or something, you know, like it's, we're not going anywhere. We fucking have, you know, we, we don't need to prove ourselves. We're just like, this is either you like it or you don't, and nobody really cares, and we're, we've been able to surround ourselves by people who think the same, like death wish is an amazing label. And they're like, Hey, when you guys want to do a record, just let us know. Oh, that's no great. Pressure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You know, not you know, like if you want to stay on this label, like, you're going to give us a record every year, every two years or three years or whatever. Like they're just like, eh, when you're no, ready, we have a, give us a record and we'll be cool. We have a core, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big, big fan base, but it's a solid fan base. And it's like, we have a core of people that will just, well, we're not going to lose money recording a record. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, like, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, nobody's looking, <laughs> nobody's looking to buy a house off of it, but we're not going to, like, we're not going to sink any ship. Yeah. Label, like, no label's going to go under you know? if they put out one of your records. Yeah. But you're not going to be able to buy no. the, the, a brand, a new car because of it either, you know? So yeah. 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 No. yeah. yeah gotcha. And none of us have those aspirations, you know, like, <laughs> right. If I would... we leave, if we go, if we, we, we can't pay to play anymore. Like if we go out for two weeks, we got to cover those two weeks that we're not working on other things. Sure. You know, and we're able to. So that, oh, that's perfect, that's man. That's just, perfect. That's perfect. It's, it's kind of cool, you know? Yeah. And anything else is just fucking frosting. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's kind of, that's a great, I, I think that's a great, great place to be. That's good. That's a really good, especially considering the age of the band like you said like you guys aren't old guys but you've been around for a long time but you're it sounds like you're in a really good yeah. place to me you know so what's coming up i mean well, what's it, what's the future hold for you guys well the place that we're at is a position where we can actually concentrate on writing at our own pace without feeling like we need to grind a record out every two years you know yeah um yeah. and that's what we're doing like we're like oh fuck it's been a little bit things are we have a couple windows here and there where there's not a whole lot of other stuff going on. Let's write a record. So, I mean, me and Neil are in the process of, like I said, putting together the blueprint of what we'll be able to take to Mongo and Chuck and hammer it out. So, I mean, I imagine we'll probably be able to hit the studio within the next six months or so. Oh, great. So maybe like, within, within a year, there should be a new record kind of thing. Yeah. That's great. That's the goal. Oh, awesome. Great. Well, yeah, a lot of people will be stoked to hear that for sure. So, good. Yeah, I'm really I'm stoked to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No shit. You know? Yeah, yeah. To who to thunk that it that when you first started you'd be where you are now and still doing it and everything too. Do you ever think that way like, wow, like it's been a long time and here we are and fuck it's great. I love it like no problem, you know? I haven't I don't know I ever I really don't know that I've ever thought about it. I mean, 
You just kind of take it as it comes, and there you go, kind of thing. Yeah. Time, time moves so fast and weird for me. Like, like I could blink and I could be standing in 1999 right now, and it would not shock me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just on a fucking. I'm just on a ride here, man. I don't know where I'm going to land at any given moment. Oh, cool. God damn it. But anyway, that's for the next interview, huh? There you go. Yeah, yeah, we got it. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, man, for sure. It sounds like yeah. so. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get back. I'll let you get to, to what you got to do for sure. And then, um, yeah, we'll talk Ooh. and we'll sort out a time to get ghostly for sure, dude. Yeah, because I got I have a lot of thoughts. It sounds like you got a lot of interesting stuff to say about that for sure. That'll be Oh, yeah, I love this awesome. shit. Great, great. Okay. Cool, man. All right. All right, Garrett. Let's Thanks so much for talking to me, man. Days. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Thank you, buddy. All right, buddy. All right. I'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.
what do you know about stickers? Well, other than the fact that you peel off a backing and stick them on stuff, right? Did you know that stickers were possibly invented by the ancient Egyptians? Yes, archaeologists have found remains of papers that were plastered to the walls of ancient markets to display prices of goods. Who knew? Also, more modern stickers may have gotten their start with Sir Roland Hill, who invented an adhesive paper in 1839. Hill's stickers eventually became the first postage stamps. Very, very interesting. Well, ancient history of stickers aside, let me tell you a little about Sticker Junkie, the makers of the finest stickers known to modern man. Go to StickerJunkie.com and check out the Sticker Generator, where you can design your very own custom sticker from scratch, or if you already have the artwork for your sticker, you can upload that artwork on StickerJunkie.com and choose from a large variety of sizes and shapes to meet your stickering needs. Let me help you get started on the road to happy stickering with the following deals. Use promo code BOBCAST, that's B-O-B-C-A-S-T, for $10 off of your order, or BOBCAST10, that's B-O-B-C-A-S-T-1-0, for 10% off of your order, Whichever saves you the most money on your order will apply. That's fantastic. That's right. You can save money and get the best stickers around all on one very easy-to-use website, StickerJunkie.com. The finest quality stickers, quick turnaround time, and savings on already low prices. Go to www.StickerJunkie.com. That's www.S-T-I-C-K-E-R-J-U-N-K-I-E. Dot com and start the sticker project of your dreams today. A huge thank you to Garrett for the interview and the songs. There'll be links up to Planes Mistaken for Stars, various enterprises, ways to buy their records and all that good stuff. A huge thanks to, to the rest of the band as well, just for being in the band and making these fucking songs are tight. They are great, great songs. Follow the links, get into it. You will not regret it. I I love this fucking band. All right, Mesa Verde. Let's talk a little bit about Mesa Verde, shall we? What is Mesa Verde? Well, first off, Mesa Verde is a national park located in the southwestern corner of Colorado. Before Mesa Verde was a national park, the area was inhabited by nomadic peoples that first arrived in that area sometime around 9500 B.C., those nomadic peoples stayed in that area thanks to an abundance of food and the availability of water. By 1500 BC, corn was introduced to the area by trade, by trade up from Mexico. So if anybody ever says, oh, the Native Americans, they were savages, they're completely full of shit. They had trade routes that extended all the way down into like Aztec territory. Gnarly. Look into it. I'm not going to get into it too much here. It's pretty in-depth. It's Yeah, it's a big, big topic. But yeah, they had gnarly trade routes all going all the way from Colorado way down into Mexico. Permanent settlements began, mostly pit houses around 1500 BC as well. These pit houses were essentially big holes that were dug in the ground, round circular holes. And as a roof, they were just covered up with layers of wood and mud. Those people that made the pit houses were known as the basket maker culture due to findings by archaeologists of fine baskets and the like from that time. The basket makers established year-round settlements around Mesa Verde 
in around 600 AD and by around 750 AD, the upper mesas saw large settlements being constructed and the population growing and growing. 750 AD marks the end of the basket maker culture and the beginning of the Pueblo culture or the ancestral Puebloan culture. This is when the people of Mesa Verde began building villages on top of the mesas. Farming became the norm for getting food rather than hunting and gathering. Uh, the people of Mesa Verde were really, at this time, truly settling down, in other words. Now, what about the cliff houses that make Mesa Verde so special? When did they build those? Um, they think sometime around 1190 A.D., and... The people took off around 1300 AD. Yeah, they more or less disappeared. Uh, what? Yeah, they, they built these gnarly cities, essentially, in the cliff faces of Mesa Verde, and they fucking disappeared. Oh, yeah, gone. Totally gone. We're going to get into that in part two. Okay, so for now, let's talk a little bit more about the more modern history of Mesa Verde and the general area of Mesa Verde was established as a national park in the year 1906. And one reason for the establishment of Mesa Verde as a national park was to protect the sites from looters. Sites, yes, the sites are what made Mesa Verde famous. The archaeological sites, the old ruins of Native American settlements, specifically the ancestral Puebloan settlements. And there are over 5,000 archaeological sites Located in the park, the most famous sites in the park are the over 600 cliff dwellings. That Just like it sounds, I mean, they are cities literally built into the cliffs under the edges of the mesas. It's like, fuck, it's gnarly. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that more. Let's go back to the name Mesa Verde. What does the name Mesa Verde mean? Mesa Verde translates from Spanish into English as green table. And that was named by a couple of Spanish explorers in the year 1776, Francisco Dominguez and Silvestre Velez de Escalante. These two missionaries and explorers were seeking a route from Santa Fe in what is now New Mexico to California. They saw Mesa Verde from afar and named the area after the tree-covered plateaus. Yeah, it does. Literally, Mesa Verde from far away looks like a bunch of green tabletops especially from far away. And that's as close as these guys got, these two Spanish explorers. They didn't see any cliff dwellings or anything as they were mapping their route from Santa Fe to California. They passed by and said, oh, look at that, you know, oh, a couple of green tables up there. Okay, yeah, there you go. In that same year of 1776, the Ute tribe lived in the Mesa Verde area, but they wouldn't live in any of the cliff dwellings or any of the old ruins around Mesa Verde they felt the cliff dwellings were sacred ancestral sites. Now, the next round of European explorers of Mesa Verde began around 1873 when a prospector named John Moss started telling other settlers, hey, I found this crazy place with all these crazy cliff dwellings and ruins and all this stuff. This Moss took photographer William Henry Jackson through the area in 1874, and William Henry Jackson published some of the photographs of the cliff dwellings, and that spurred a lot of interest in those sites. Now, in the 1880s, a family of cattle ranchers, family by the name of the Wetherills, made a deal with a Ute tribe that kind of, you know, inhabited that whole Mesa Verde area to allow their cattle onto the mesas and kind of that whole general area as well. That led to the Wetherills rediscovering some of the largest cliff dwellings 
in the Mesa Verde area, the Cliff Palace, especially which one of the Wetherills, Richard Wetherill, named. What did the Wetherills do when they found these dwellings? Now, keep in mind, this is after the Ute tribe people told them, uh, yeah, we don't go in those cliff dwellings, okay, because they are the houses of the ancient ones and they're sacred places. So, yeah, we don't mess around with those places. It's, oh, yeah, yeah. No, the Wetherills invited all their family and friends. Oh, let's go check these places out. Take all the shit and sell it. Oh, you grab as much shit as you can, which they did, and they sold it all to the Historical Society of Colorado. And then the rest of it that they couldn't sell, they kept. The Wetherills did. Yeah, great. Now, the these wonderful Wetherills invited Swedish scholar Gustav Nordenskjöld to check out these amazing ruins, which he did. Then Gustav grabbed a bunch of artifacts and sent them home to a museum in Sweden. Oh, good. Yeah, so you have these cattle ranchers, this family of cattle ranchers. They've already looted the shit out of all these sites, right? Then they meet, hey, hey, Swedish dude, uh, why don't you come check this place out? And then he loots the shit out of it as well. This fucking, this like looting of opportunity led to people saying, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, we need to protect these sites. Most notably a very fine lady by the name of Virginia McClurg. Don't get me wrong, the grave-robbing cattle ranchers and fucking Sven Norgesborg, whatever the fuck his name, they did do some good. They mapped the whole area out. They invited some, like, people with ethics in who documented the ruins and, you know, recorded everything, wrote it down, took measurements, all that, and wrote some books about it. Uh, this Gustav Norgenskiold who was also a mineralogist, documented the sites extensively, scientifically, and thoroughly. And he also published a book about Mesa Verde in 1893 called The Cliff Dwellers of Mesa Verde. Now, Richard Wetherill, what about him? The guy who kind of started off this feeding frenzy of grave robbing, essentially. After the discovery of Cliff Palace and the looting of the artifacts in Mesa Verde, he actually went on to become a very enthusiastic amateur archaeologist. He helped excavate and preserve the ruins at Chaco Canyon in New Mexico, for one thing, which is also another ancestral Puebloan site that's really gnarly, just like Mesa Verde. It's one of the largest sites of ancestral Puebloan cliff dwellings in the world, honestly. He opened up a trading post near Chaco Canyon and eventually even filed a homesteading claim on the ruins of Chaco Canyon itself, which he relinquished in 1907 so that Chaco Canyon could become a national park. So he became like a pretty solid good dude. Maybe he was to begin with. The thing is, at the time, like this looting of Native American sites and all that, you know, anytime you found relics, you could send them, sell them to a museum. That was not looked down on. That was actually considered like totally fine by society's standards. Yeah, no problem. No, you're not grave robbing. You're kind of preserving history. Uh, yes and no. That kind of falls back on the thing. Was it okay to be racist in like the early 1900s? Well, no. No, really it wasn't. Then again, you know, was it okay to grave rob all these Native American sites that had been there, sitting there vacant for, you know, whatever, 700, six, 700 years? And eh, no, not really. But it was kind of the norm of the day and acceptable behavior. So uh, Richard Wetherill actually was credited for naming the people who lived at Mesa Verde the Anasazi, which they don't like. So I don't know if there's much credit for him for that. Eh, it wasn't such a good thing, N naming these people like the enemies, the ancestral enemies of the Navajo. Huh, okay. 
well, whatever. Richard Wetherill died in 1910. Now, he was either the victim of a Native American man that owed him money as he, like I said, he owned a training post near Chaco Canyon, or, or here's where a conspiracy kicks in, he could have been assassinated at the prompting of the local, this is a, you know, quote-unquote situation, Indian agent. Now, these fucking Indian agent people were not good people. They were agents of the U.S. government that were sent in to, like, reservation areas or whatever just to monitor behavior and, you know, kind of the societies of the local Native American tribes wherever they were sent to work. This Indian agent wanted to dam up and flood Chaco Canyon, this gnarly, like, fucking archaeological, like, gold mine, right? This insanely historical and wonderful place. Oh, no, no, let's dam up the canyon and flood it so we have a source of water. Fucking asshole. He also wanted to build a, quote-unquote, Indian school. Uh, And Indian schools were generally pretty horrible places where they took the Native American children away from their families for a very forced assimilation into white American learning. The thought is maybe Richard Wetherill was in the way of this Indian agent guy and his plans for the area, so he had him killed. Huh. So he actually, Richard Wetherill actually became a pretty good dude in his later years, I have to say. There you go. Now let's get back to Virginia McClurg. She's very, very important to Mesa Verde's history and preservation. She was a gnarly person. She first visited Mesa Verde in 1882 and then again in 1885. And she was the first white woman to have seen the cliff houses. That I did a little quote unquote things with my fingers. By the way, you can see that her party discovered the Echo Cliff House, the Three Tier House, and Balcony House, which are now sites that you can visit typically at Mesa Verde. The discovery of those sites prompted her to start the process of protecting them from grave robbers and profiteers. So between 1887 and 1906, Virginia McClurg and another very fine lady by the name of Lucy Peabody led the charge to protect Mesa Verde in letter-writing campaigns, enlisting the support of members of women's clubs throughout the country, giving speeches about the need to preserve the area and meeting with Congress and pleading with them to please do something about preserving the history of these sites. One of the speeches Virginia gave was actually hosted by Susan B. Anthony. Yeah, how's that? Very interesting. Very historical and interesting, I think. Virginia also formed the Colorado Cliff Dwellings Association, which was instrumental in Mesa Verde becoming a national park. Now, sadly, a rift grew between Virginia and Lucy in 1904, as Virginia wanted Mesa Verde to be run by the Colorado Cliff Dwellings Association, And Lucy wanted the protection of the federal government by making Mesa Verde a national park, which seems the more logical thing to do. Much more protection from looters and grave robbers and all that stuff if it was made a national park. So I'm siding with Lucy here for sure. Lucy split with the Colorado Cliff Dwellings Association and continued to lobby Congress to make Mesa Verde a national park. And in 1906, Mesa Verde became a national park. Lucy Peabody is now known as the mother of Mesa Verde. And I honestly, I'd like to thank both of those amazing women for their hard work and dedication in preserving such an incredible place. Since 1906, you can't fuck with Mesa Verde without getting in a lot of trouble. And that's a really good thing. Otherwise, the place would not exist at all. There wouldn't be shit there, honestly. Some of the stories I was reading about what people would do to Mesa Verde before it became a national park how badly they would tear up these incredible archaeological sites, it's heartbreaking. 
I mean, they'd fill in the kivas, and we'll talk about kivas a little later. They'd knock down walls. They'd ruin the cave paintings or the petroglyphs that they had, the wall paintings. All kinds of crazy shit. Now, Mesa Verde is a thriving national park. It's visited by over a half a million people annually. The park is the largest archaeological preserve in the United States. Mesa Verde, it, it, it really is. It's a magic place. Dude, it's a magical and amazing place. You have to see it. My words cannot do the place justice. There you go. There's a very short and basic history of Mesa Verde. There's so, so much more to it. I am sure, however, we both have places to go and things to do, people to see, that kind of thing. Well, coming up next, we have some words about our good friends at Red Brontosaurus Records. Then we'll get to part two of the episode. Stay tuned. I've talked about Red Brontosaurus Records and the fine selection of records and music they have in stock, right? Let's take a look at some of the other fine goods that Red Brontosaurus carries. Movies? Oh yes, Red Brontosaurus has the movies. VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray? They have all the movies. Horror, sci-fi, animation, anime, kids' movies, comedy movies, TV shows, even goddamn Oscar-winning movies. Ready for you to take home now and cancel that Netflix subscription and save a few dollars, that's right. Did you also know Red Brontosaurus at this time has a movie special? That's right, it is an I Wanna Party With Bob special. Buy one used DVD, get one used DVD for free. That's right, buy one used DVD, get one used DVD for free. What a deal. Just mention the Bobcast or I Want a Party with Bob, and this deal can be yours. So head to Red Brontosaurus today for the deal. Remember, buy one used DVD, get one used DVD for free. Tell them Bob sent you. Red Brontosaurus is located at 3044 North Parkway in the North Park neighborhood in San Diego, California. You can reach them by phone at 619-795-1282 or on the web at www.redbrontosaurus.com. Ghosts of Mesa Verde. Now, that's how I advertised this episode, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Well, I really only have one ghost story for this episode oh yes indeed oh i have sound effects i know uh moving up into the big time i was being a little misleading uh, titling this episode ghosts of mesa verde there is a ghost story though the ancestral puebloans lived around mesa verde for about six to seven hundred years before they took off I'm not counting the hunter-gatherers that were there before them, before well, before really they kind of became the ancestral Puebloans. So for about six to 700 years, the ancestral Puebloans built permanent settlements above and below the cliffs, and then they left. They left the area entirely. This is the thing that really blows me away about that, the, the cliff houses. The cliff houses that are so insane and complex and huge, they built them lived in them for about 100 years, and they were like, oh, fuck it, this place is dead, let's get out of here. And they took off. What? What? Why? Why? It doesn't make sense that they'd go to all that effort of building these gnarly places, only live in them for about 100 years, and go, all right, well, fuck, we're done here. We did everything we could. We're out of here. Yeah, why? Why did they do that? 
if they were only going to live there for such a short time. Yeah. Well, one reason the cliff houses were built was for defensive purposes for the people that lived in them. That kind of makes sense, right? It's very hard to get to people that are literally living off the edge of this gnarly and huge, huge cliff. You should stand on the edge or near the edge of these cliffs and look down to where the dwellings are. And it's like, oh, how the fuck do you get down there without like steps and handrails and all this shit? Like, how do you do that? Well, the ancestral Puebloans, they had ladders that they could, you know, pull in, put up, whatever. And they had hand and footholds that were carved into the sides of the cliffs. The ladders could be taken away, right? In times of troubles, the footholds, well, when somebody's like focusing on climbing down this gnarly cliff, it would be pretty easy to knock them off the side of the wall, even from below, you know, throwing rocks or shooting at them with a bow and arrow or whatever, if they're trying to get to you. I, I think so. Around the time of the construction of the cliff houses, things weren't really going that great for the people of Mesa Verde. There were thousands of people living up on top of the mesas. They had been farming that soil of the mesas, expending local resources kind of to the breaking point for a pretty long time. Other tribes in the area knew there were people that lived up on the mesas that had all this stuff. They had farms. They had, you know, storage facilities for all their food. They had water. They had everything and they kind of got raided a lot by the local tribes. So what do they do? They said, well, fuck it. Let's move down under the cliffs. It'll be safer. And also, this is very, very key here. There was a dependable and safe source of water under the cliffs. Under the edge of the cliffs, rainwater that would hit the top of the mesa would create these kind of runoff springs that they could you know, tap into under the edge of the cliffs where they built the houses that granted them access to safe and clean water. And back then, you know, really as well as today, easy access to clean and safe water is of utmost importance to any civilization, period. I mean, that is kind of the crucial. Drinkable, clean water is crucial to human survival, essentially. Yep, water, check, okay. Safety from raiders, check. So that's why they built the cliff houses. Some kind of weird stuff started to happen before they took off, before the ancestral Puebloans bailed Mesa Verde completely. The construction, see, it never really stopped on the cliff houses, on those these communities that were built under the edge of the cliff right up until the time they left. Some of the newest construction that was made in these cliff houses was kind of like a, a Winchester house level of like weird. They had walls that would like block off sections of houses where it really didn't make sense for them to block off. Doorways that they would build that led to a blank wall windows that didn't look outside, all this kind of crazy stuff. Well, why? I mean, were they losing their minds? Were they going nuts? Or what was going on? Was there like this mass psychosis, like a mass murder, suicide, like a total horror movie scenario that led to the disappearance of the ancestral Puebloans? Uh, no. The answer to that question is a solid no. The answer to what happened to the ancestral Puebloans and Mesa Verde isn't as mysterious as I've kind of let on in these last few sentences that I've uh, spoken here. I know I lied. I lied again. I, yeah, yeah, I kind of suckered you into this one, didn't I? Well, like Obi-Wan Kenobi said, it's what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Yes, that's uh, applause for my Obi-Wan Kenobi 
impersonation at probably the best one you've ever heard, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, people may severity. They were facing depleted resources, soil that they were having a hard time farming, competition and raids by other local tribes. What was the biggest factor of all? The biggest factor of all of the ancestral Puebloan people leaving the area was a 25-year-long drought. Okay, no water, no survival. All that weird construction stuff, archaeologists think that in these tough times near the year 1300 AD, there was quite a bit of internal strife amongst the tribe. Social niceties were breaking down due to the strain and specter of starvation, so on and so forth. People were being generally less civil towards each other and literally building walls between people they weren't getting along with in the cliff dwellings. Yeah, interesting. That being said, no hope of survival in the area. The ancestral Puebloans, fuck, they packed up and bailed. They moved south. They moved into New Mexico and Arizona where there were resources that they could use and a new life awaited. They are still in those areas today. They really are. Mystery solved. So that's where they went. You know, for years and years, people said, oh, my God, they just disappeared. No, no, they didn't. Listen to this. If you read about the Anasazi online or the ancestral Puebloans, as they prefer to be called, the disappearance of the tribe can be chalked up to, you know, thank you, fucking Internet. Of Again, it can be chalked up to UFOs. You know, they went back into the underworld where they came from, this hole in the ground in the Grand Canyon, all kinds of crazy shit. It's simply not true. This story that I'm telling right now would be far, far more interesting <laughs> if they did actually disappear, though much more sad. Um, yeah, but I'd be lying to you if I said, no, they didn't actually just completely mysteriously disappear. They had a plan. They acted on it. They left to where they could continue to survive. Yes, uh, from a certain point of view, I wasn't really. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, anyways. Let's get on to the ghost story, okay? That's why we're here, right? It's to get my one single solitary ghost story out of this whole episode. Now, like I said back at the beginning of the episode, my family and I did visit Mesa Verde a few months ago. We stayed at the Farview Lodge up on top of the mesas, which is really close to the Farview sites. Now, the Farview sites are some of the dwellings, food storage buildings, and ceremonial sites that are located on top of the mesas that kind of predate the cliff dwellings below the mesas. The very first night we were there, we went down to one of the Farview sites, a place called Coyote Village. And Coyote Village was crazy. It's a series of structures, almost like an apartment building. Like, it's huge. It's gigantic, right? Besides dwellings, there were also several kivas. Now, what a kiva is, it's a sunken room that was used by the ancestral Puebloans for ceremonial rites, also political meetings, kind of a public gathering place, that, that kind of thing. Now, note, the kivas were very, very important to the ancestral Puebloans. They're a focal point of most of these dwellings in the cliff and actually up on top of the mesas, like at the Farview site. We were wandering around Coyote Village, totally quiet, dead silent. It was like early evening in early September, right, right after Labor Day. So it was after the bulk of the tourists had already been to Mesa Verde, there were only like a couple other people in the general area, and there was no one there at the time when we were walking around this place, right? The three of us, my wife, my son, and I, we were kind of separated, kind of exploring the area in you know our own little individual way. My wife came over to me at one point and said, do you smell that? I said, uh, no, what are you talking about? Now, she said she could smell 
like bread baking, like the smell of baking bread. And she could hear the voices of people kind of just going about their business, doing their thing. And it said, she said it sounded like the voices of women, maybe working, you know, baking bread, doing their thing, just generally like a normal active day in the village. And she didn't say she was creeped out or anything like that. Like it wasn't a bad feeling. You know, just like felt like she was part of kind of your typical day in this settlement up on top of the mesa. Fucking gnarly, right? Like, no, no. So I got kind of creeped out because really, it was really quiet. There was no people there. And also, I kind of realized something. I was standing in a place that was very, very ancient, okay? And very much formerly inhabited by many, many, many people. So I, I don't know. I think there's something there at Mesa Verde, especially in the settlements, you know, the cliff houses, the settlements on top of the mesas. There's something old there. There's something ancient there that hasn't completely let go of it. Like the the spirits of the people who once lived there are still there, kind of just hanging around. And not a bad thing, a little creepy. Yeah, they're still calling Mesa Verde home. After we went to Coyote Village, we went back to the hotel we were staying at, which was actually the Farview Lodge really close to these Farview sites in the Coyote Village and all that stuff. Not a far drive at all, like maybe a mile or two. And we did not sleep that night at all. We could, could not sleep. Maybe the lack of sleep had something to do with the altitude we were at. It's about 8,000 feet when you're on top of those mesas. Maybe it had something to do with visiting two guns earlier in the day. Now, remember what I said about two guns? The place is fucking cursed as shit. And that was way back in episode 17 of the Bobcast. If, you, if you'd care to step backwards in history, kind of like I've been telling a little history of Mesa Verde, and check out my history of two guns, yeah, you're always welcome to do that there on the website. There you go. And on iTunes and all that bullshit. So, yeah. Or, I don't know, maybe it was the restless spirits of Mesa Verde keeping us interlopers awake for the night. You be the judge. I'm really, really not sure. Yes, that's right. The next day, we took one of the tours down to see the Cliff Palace, one of the largest cliff-dwelling sites at Mesa Verde. What an experience. I Really. Again, I my words cannot do justice to this place. It was fucking insane. It was scary as shit, too. Now, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. There are parts of this trail that go down from the edge, from the top of this mesa, down this cliff to this cliff house that's kind of like tucked up under the cliff, and there were some really, really gnarly far drops, like, I don't know, maybe 80 feet or something. And there's no guardrail. And there I am with, like, my six-year-old son going, oh, fuck. Like, don't get away from the edge. You know, oh, God. Oh, yeah, that was. How the fuck did those people get up and down into that place? Like, how did little kids get up and down into the cliff dwellings from the top of the mesa? How did, like, very old people do it? I had no idea. They must have had to like have help. Oh, geez, I don't know. I would not want to be one of those people that would have to climb up these gnarly handholds with like, you know, some some spot. It's like a thousand fucking feet straight down. Oh, fuck that. No, 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 no. Yeah, they're nuts. Okay. The ranger led our group all through the dwelling area, the Cliff Palace, and we even kind of got to stick our heads inside one of the houses to look at some petroglyphs or, or like paintings on the walls of one of the dwellings. See, you can't 
go through a doorway and actually go inside of the dwellings anymore. They don't want you to touch the walls as the oils that are in our skin are really, really bad for the building material that make up the bulk of what those cliff houses are built out of. And they showed us a spot, the ranger did, where the cliff, you know, the wall of one of these buildings had just this ring of black all around it. And he was telling us, well, that's from people putting their hands on it for years and years and years. And it completely, like the oils in our hands, completely like eats away more than the desert sun, more than rain, more than wind, more than snow. It's the nastiness of our gross-ass human bodies that actually are eating away at this place more than anything else. That's fucking crazy, isn't it? Ugh. Yuck. Ew. Well, I, we did learn a lot from that ranger, especially stuff about why the ancestral Puebloans left the area. The water thing. Yeah, he was super, super helpful and rad and nice and told the history of the place in the best way. So, yeah, go there and check it out. Yeah, I was in awe the entire time we were there. The dwellings, God, it's incredible. I will post pictures on the website for sure. But again, you do need to go there. So what I think, and this is why I call this episode the ghosts of Mesa Verde. This is what I think. The true ghosts of Mesa Verde are the lingering memories of how spectacular, spiritual, and amazing of a place it is in my own mind. There you go. See? From a certain point of view. Yeah, I'm not a liar. No. The ghosts of Mesa Verde are the memories inside of my own head about the place. There you go. Visit Mesa Verde. I'm not kidding. It is so worth it. I'd love to go back there, spend a week. There is so much to see and do. I could, yeah, there is so, so much to see and do. Very highly recommended by your pal Bob of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Well, thank you so much for listening. There is so much more to Mesa Verde from the history of the people who built it, the natural beauty of the park itself, the insanity of the cliff dwellings, so, so, so much more. Hopefully I was able to convey some of the best things about Mesa Verde in this episode, but I truly think you have to see it to believe it. You have to see it to fully grasp what it's all about. I really, really believe that. And hey, you did get at least one legit ghost story out of this thing, right? So yeah, check out Mesa Verde. You will not regret it, guaranteed. Thank you so much to Sticker Junkie and Red Brontosaurus Records for the support of the Bobcast. And a huge thank you to Garrett and Planes Mistaken for Stars for the talk and letting me use the songs. Garrett, you are the best dude. Thank you so, so much. I'm going to leave you with a song by Planes Mistaken for Stars called She Who Steps. What a song it is. Kind of a perfect song to close this episode out. Thank you again so, so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. I would really appreciate it. Here is Planes Mistaken for Stars.